Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. I know I said last week we would do the Met offseason preview. I'm calling an audible on this one. I'm still working on a guest for the Met one, so we're going to do that next week. We're going to do a Yankee offseason preview today. Anthony Sorbellini from the Baseball Beat will be hopping on with me in just a bit to talk about some of the big issues the Yankees are facing entering this offseason. A lot of questions for free agency. Chance they're going to go spend some big money on guys like Garrett Cole and or Steven Strasburg. We'll break it all down with Anthony in a bit. NFL picks for showing the money. Week 11 coming up as well. I went 1-2 and two last week, so starting to get back in the right direction. I'll be joined by Jet fan Rocky DePala to do the picks in just a bit. Be sure you're locked in until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I will recap you on some of the crazy shenanigans going on with the NCAA in terms of rules violations. It's had some odd ones emerge over the last week. I'll break down that at the end of the show. But we'll get it all wrong with this week's opening tip, where we recap Jets-Giants. And it went much better if you were wearing green than blue. That's coming up right after this. As Jones has it taken away by Jamal Adams. And he is in for a Jets touchdown. He stripped the ball from Daniel Jones and scores. Oh, my goodness. Jamal Adams. Watch this confrontation. He runs right through him and says, I am going to your quarterback, and I am taking the ball, and I am doing this myself. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. Those calls you just heard, courtesy of Fox Sports, is Kenny Albert and Rondé Barber. And that will be the one play that's remembered from this game. Jamal Adams literally bursting through this, the offensive line, taking the football right out of Daniel Jones's hands and running into the end zone for a touchdown as the Jets win 34-27. And for now, the heat is off Adam Gase a little bit. The Jets overcame the embarrassment in Miami, came back, put together a good effort against the Giants, pick up the win. It's a sad state of football right now for New York. Both these teams are not very good. The Jets are 2-7, and seven, the Giants are 2-8, and eight, but the Jets, for the moment, have the pressure off of them. The big key for this game for the Jets, if you're a Jet fan, Sam Darnold looked much, much better in this game than he did last week against the Dolphins or against the Patriots two weeks prior or the Jaguar game. On the first drive, you knew he was going to have a good day. He goes 6-6, six six, 53 yards, a touchdown with some really, really nice throws in there. And as usual, the Jet offensive line was not helping him much. He was under duress, but he made some incredible throws when he was getting hit. There was one right in the first quarter where he had a throw where he's being dragged down by Marcus Bolden, Marcus Golden, excuse me, and he put it on the money, on the run to Robbie Anderson for a big first down. Plays like that make you think the Sandar will be special. And hopefully, this was a turning point for him and he starts going back up as opposed to staying down like he'd been. The Giants, they had plenty of issues in this game. They had a bad snap, killed the Giants up to Darius Slayton touchdown, cost them a chance for a PAT that had to go for two and missed. Daniel, the Daniel Jones fumbling problems continue. The Jaw Adams one is really bad. Like, literally, that is horrendous ball security from Daniel Jones. And as much as everyone says that Sam Darnold's got the ghost thing haunting him, Daniel Jones got this play hanging over him for a while. It looks really bad when you have a football player come right through, take the football right out of your hands, and run into the end zone. That's really, really bad. He also had OPI, wipeout two-point conversion, Rosas missing a PAT. 
Lots of issues for the Giants, but despite all that, they entered the fourth quarter up 27-24. And then the Jets get down, get the touchdown to go ahead. Tom Thrall gets the assist on the pass interference call by on DeAndre Baker. That's going on. And the, that's honestly the key to this game is the Jets got in there. The Jet defense took over the end, and the Jets win. This game was probably the best the Jets have looked since the Dallas game, outside of the opening drives in Jacksonville, Miami. Were they great? Not really. They had some issues. Their pass defense was an issue, but then again, considering who they were playing at corner, that's definitely a problem. But Sandara looked better. The offensive line was okay. It could have been better. Certainly could have helped Le'Veon Bell more. That's for sure. But Sandara looked comfortable. Sandara made plays. And more importantly, Sandara did not turn the football over. And he was a turnover machine the past few weeks. So this is a huge correction in the right direction. And it's a big step for Adam Gase, who last week was on the hot seat with the fans anyway. You have people flying planes over the city saying, fire Adam Gase now. It was not going to happen. The owners don't want to admit they made a mistake. Christopher Johns does not want to look like an idiot that fast. So he helped his own cause there by getting that win. And the key for the Jets right now, go to Washington next week, put out an effort, and win the football game. This is another team that they are better than. The Redskins are abysmal. They don't have a quarterback. They have no weapons. They don't even have a head coach because Bill Callahan's the interim after Jake Gruden got fired. That's a game you need to win. You can't beat the Giants and go out and lay an egg in Washington next week. You do that, the heat's right back on. Now, as far as the Giants, this is more a reflection of how bad they've been. I picked them last week because they have been competitive in games. The Jets had not been. I figured, okay, Giants will win this. They'll be good. But what happens here? The Jets embarrassed themselves in Miami last week. And like it's been the past few years, the Giants said, no, no, no. We'll embarrass ourselves. It's our turn now to be the bad team. And this is a game where the stats lied. If you look at the box score and not watch the football game, you would say, my God, Daniel Jones had a great game. He threw four touchdowns, threw over 300 yards. He had a great day. But if you watch those throws, there were a lot of them with guys just open against the Jets secondary that any quarterback could have made. And he did not really make plays down the stretch. The Jet defensive line came through, got six sacks on Daniel Jones, which I know the Giants were down three stars, but the Jets took advantage of it. And interesting nugget here from Connor Hughes on Twitter, the Jet beat reporter. Basically, when the Jets took the lead, here's his tweet. Hashtag Jets D stood on his head after allowing that touchdown to Tate to get the Giants, hashtag Giants, a six-point lead. NYG had five more series. Four punts, two first downs, one fumble, 30 total yards. They allowed 19 yards and zero first downs after hashtag NYJ got lead back. That's an incredible step up by the Jet defense right there. They literally shut the Giants down for about a quarter. And that's the Jets having to deal with the Jets secondary that was using Arthur Mollette and Bless Austin as their primary corners. Who? And in the words of the great Vince Lombardi, what the hell's going on out here? It's a really bad look for the Giants, and it's a good sign that Pat Turner is probably going to be at the end of this year. There are reports after the game that John Mara was furious at this result, 
And if honestly, if they had not fired Ben McAdoo in season a couple of years ago, Scherer probably would have been gone this week. The Giants had a bye. They could have had two weeks to get for the interim coach to get the team ready to go. But efforts like this are one step closer to getting Pat Shermer out the door. And he's not been a good coach for anywhere he's been. He's a coordinator, not a coach. We've learned this very much with the Browns and the Giants now. So it's just a matter of time with Shermer, I feel like. And one more thing. I would be remiss not to mention the great Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams in this game against a Jet offensive line that started Chuma Adoga, Alex Lewis, Jonathan Harrison, Brian Winters, and he got replaced by Tom Compton after he got hurt, and he's out for the year now, and Brandon Shell. You want to know his stat line was? One solo tackle, one assisted tackle. Yep, the move from green to blue did nothing for Leonard Williams. Absolutely nothing. And then after the game, he had this pearl of wisdom to say. And this is from SNY's Ralph Vacchiano on Twitter. Leonard Williams said after this game, just because we lost the Jets doesn't mean that we're not a better team. Because they won doesn't mean that they're a better team. Really, Leonard? That's what the argument you're going to take? You two are both bad football teams. And they beat you. Therefore, they are a better team. It does not mean much. But they are the better team right now. And Leonard Williams, again, coming up small. That third round pick, going to be close to the end of the second for the Jets there. So, good get by Joe Douglas to send Leonard out there for the picks. Still no idea what Dave Gallon was thinking about that trade. But we will go on to our Yankee talk for a little bit. Anthony Sarwini is right outside. He's about to hand the studio. We will talk to him right after this. Here's Aaron Hicks. The pitch is lying deep to right field down the line. She is gone. It hit the foul pole. It climbed off the foul pole. It's a three-run home run. Aaron Hicks hits one to the sticks. A three-run blast. And the Yankees take a 4-1 lead. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you guys heard with CBS uh, Radio's John Sterling, WFN's John Sterling, excuse me, uh, calling the Aaron Hicks home run in Game 5 of the American League Championship Series. It's going to be one of the last highlights of the Yankees this season. Joining me right now in the studio to talk about some of the things the Yankees have going on in the offseason is the Yankee half of the baseball beat, Anthony Sorbellini. Anthony, welcome. How are you? Good, Mike. How about you? Doing good. I didn't want to play the baseball beat bump without Will here. It would feel wrong. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, not having the whole crew here. I don't blame you. Yeah, well, we'll get the baseball beat together again probably some point next month, but we'll we'll talk about the, just the Yankees today. So, real quick, before we dive into the end of this season, we were recording on Thursday. Two days ago, the Manager of the Year came, awards came out. Aaron Boone got snubbed. They gave it to Rocco Baudelli. Your thoughts? I mean, this is coming from me. I know I've been saying forever. I don't – I doubt Boone, but granted – all over Instagram, uh, I believe it was MLB or MLB Cut 4. They had a little voting poll, and I found myself, like, I voted for Aaron Boone. I think, you know, <clears throat> I question, obviously, some of his managerial some of his managerial moves, but to be able to do what he did with that team, basically missing his whole entire team for Large basically time. the entire year, I mean, yeah. And to be able to get them within a World Series contention even, 
I mean, the Yankees were already coming into this season as highly touted, most likely the World Series favorites. But then you start losing Stanton. You lose, you lose Andujar before the year even starts. You lose Aaron Judge. You lose Aaron Judge. You lose Didi. You lose Didi. Yeah. You lose Aaron Hicks. Gary Sanchez. You lose Gary Sanchez. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You lose, you lose Luke Voigt. Yeah. I mean, and then to just keep bringing these guys up from the minors. That it also speaks to how well built the Yankees farm system is now, which is completely contrary to what they were probably five to ten years ago where everybody was like, oh, the Yankees are bought. No, now the Yankees are built. But even for what Aaron Boone did in a second year is it is it is remarkable and it even is. I would I would say it's a snub, but it wasn't a snub to where it was Shohei Otani winning American League Rookie of the Year last year over Miguel Andujar. I think Rocco Baldelli definitely deserved to win it, but I think also Aaron Boone, you can make a very, very, very strong case for him winning it. Yeah, my point with this is feel like if Aaron Boone is not winning this year, he is never winning manager of the year award with the Yankees because there's a clearly a Yankee bias in these awards because people oh, don't want people, the national media don't want to award the Yankees thing. It goes back to what you said about Otani winning over Andahar last year. Mm-hmm. You can go back to like Gary Jeter losing the MVP to Justin Morneau in 2008. You know, he had clearly had the better year than right. Morneau did. It's like, well, this is anti Yankee bias, especially with the manager because. No Yankee manager has won manager of the year since Joe Torre in 1996. Yeah, and that's just what I wish. It's not just even just baseball and the Yankee anti-Yankee bias with winning the awards. It's just sports in general. The voters tend to have like the narrative that they want to be the better story. And I think they just need to take a step back for that and actually give the person who has the better numbers, the better records, who had the better season, and just put that into the hole as a voting. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not even anti-New York because the Mets have had Jacob DeGrom with the Cy Young back-to-back years. It's just, oh, yeah, anti, no, it's just it's, anti-Yankee. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the Yankees are – people are tire, tired of hearing about the Yankees. It's the same thing in the NFL with the Patriots. The Patriots every year get to the Super Bowl. Patriots every other year win the Super Bowl. People are tired of hearing about it, and the Yankees are always the big bad empire. Nobody wants to see them win. Yeah, it's kind of the same argument in the NBA when it's like, oh, you give LeBron James the MVP every year. You just don't do it because it's boring. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's get to the actual Yankees here. So, obviously, the season comes up short. They lose to the Astros in the ALCS. What was your takeaway from how that year ended? Well, obviously, the year is a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, again, like I, like, I I can't echo this enough, being to where the team was throughout the year. I mean, you can't knock them, but... I, f- I said, I've, of course, but looking at it now that the Nationals won the World Series, I said whoever could beat the Astros, but of course nobody beat the Astros, and I had them pick the win if, over the Yankees. But I can't, I can't disregard this season, even though it was a failure. Aaron Judge basically said like the season's failure as soon as the game ended. But you have to look at it as a win in some regard because, hey, Aaron Boone, like he stepped up. Um, the rest of the guys, rest of the farm system, guys they brought in, filling holes, they all stepped up. So I'm very optimistic for next season still, but there's also a lot of holes that we saw and I have know I've addressed, and I think you and Will to some degree have addressed too, that the Yankees need to they need to go after. Starting pitching need, is, is the big issue heading into the offseason. Yeah, I would agree it's the biggest issue. And I feel like right now, obviously – We've heard it at the GM meeting this week. Brian Cash has gotten said, you know what? Like, we are going to be in the mix for Garrett Cole. We're going to be in the mix for Steven Strasburg. And 
I mean, they did kind of say the same thing last year about Patrick Corbin, but mm-hmm. they had a number in mind where they didn't want to go past the five years, and the Nationals gave him six, and they won a World Series with him. And, and you wonder now, like, do you think they still have that number where they say, oh, like, we're not going above this number for him. We have this value. Or they're going to say, you know what, this is going to be a 2009 CC situation where, you know what, like, we have to get this guy. We'll give whatever it takes to get him. Well, I think it's it's going to be a mixture, a mixture of both because you have the fans. Fans haven't seen a World Series win this decade at all. They didn't even go this decade. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been two, since 2009 since we've even they've even sniffed the World Series. Yes, ALCS this year, but... I think the Yankees, they need to go back to that old mentality of, yes, the core is there. We ha- They have the core of young players. They have Andujar, Ju- excuse me, not Andujar, uh, Glaber, Judge, Sanchez, whoever that core is, and then Luis Severino as their, the new wave of the core four. So they need to go out, spend some of that Yankee money. You have to go, you have to go get a big arm, at least one. Yeah. The question is, like, do they go get the big arm? which is Garrett Cole, when everyone has been screaming, Yankee fans, Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole. <laughs> or they try and sell you, like, Zach Wheeler and say, we'll bring him here, we'll get him off the Mets, he'll be better here. You think they're gonna, that, that's something that you could see happening? I mean, I could see it happening, but do I think it's going to happen? No, because it's time and time again I think it's failed. Because if you go after – I mean, look at it with Sonny Gray. Yeah, He's, That's another Zach – I mean, yes, Zach Wheeler is pitching for the Mets. It's still New York, but New York – being in the Bronx with the Yankees is a completely, completely different animal. The, the Yankees expect to be in the playoffs, be in World Series contention every single year. Not saying that the Mets don't have that same philosophy, but the Mets, because they're more, in a, more of in a rebuilt mode, but the Yankees, they need to just bolster that rotation. So I could see Zach Wheeler, if they were to go after Zach Wheeler, if they were to sign him, I could see a Sonny Gray situation happening just because be under that spotlight way too much that he could almost get away from the pitcher he's been. And he hasn't really been that consistent of a starting pitcher to begin with. So you throw that giant spotlight of being in Yankee Stadium for 82 games a year. I mean, it's a it's a question. The difference with the Mets is I feel like the Mets want to win, but they want to win on their way. They don't want to spend the most money. They exactly. Don't, they don't want to like you know go break the bank for mm-hmm. 250 million dollar contracts. So the Yankees have shown they'll do it for the right guys, but like yeah, it's the question we've had since John Carl is like, is that their big outlay? Because Cashman has said on the past, like you know, I don't want to just go over the luxury tax to give other teams money to spend against me and beat me. So that's really his big yeah, argument. Yeah, exactly. But you have to look at it now. Like like I can't echo this enough. I mean. The team is set. You just have those two or three key pieces of starting pitching that you'd absolutely need. You don't. You just need one big arm. One, one, one big arm. You can go after that and get another, get a BC arm, slide into the middle or the end of the rotation, and be fine. You just need that one big arm to go with Severino, Tanaka, and then Paxton. Paxton, and then you get a Garrett Cole or somebody, like, or even a Steven Strasburg. Yeah. You need another big arm. Yeah, they do need a big arm. Let's go on to some of the other issues they have here. Like, D.D. Gregorius, a free agent. Were you surprised they did not give him the qualifying offer? Honestly, yeah. I was very surprised. I think he's he's well worth at least the qualifying number. I mean, people echo that he and say that he's he's too inconsistent. Yeah, I get that, but Brett Gardner's too inconsistent too, and they keep signing him. Granted, Brett Gardner's been there his entire career, and he's basically the quote-unquote captain of the team now. But... Didi, ever since filling shortstop after Derek Jeter retired, like has been each and every year he's gotten better and better defensively. Off- offensively, he's been getting absolutely better. But 
the setbacks, I mean, he had a down year because injuries. Yeah. So I don't see why you knock one bad-ish year and one inconsistent year because he wasn't able to have a full spring training because he was rehabbing his his, uh, his surgery. Yeah. My sense with Didi is I feel like they view him as a luxury at this point because they say, you know, we yeah. could put Glaber Torres at shortstop. We'll put DJ LeMayu at second base. Now leave third base for Gio Rochelle or Andahar. I feel like they might see him as a luxury and say, you know what, they are – luxury task concerns and say you know what like we'll rather throw the money at a starting pitcher than throw it at dd and like i think there was legitimate concern there and then you know he's gonna take the qualifying offer and we're, we're gonna have 17 million dollars towards our payroll we don't want to allocate that year right I, yeah. I totally agree with that but i think dd dd has shown up more times than we can count i mean he's yeah. well worth the money he's we saw in the we saw in the ALDS we hit the grand slam against the twins yeah i mean and not only like i've we spoke to the offensive numbers too but he is such an underrated shortstop to begin with. Yeah. I mean, he's hands down better. He's a better defensive player than Glaber Torres is. Yeah. And shortstops are way more physically demanding position than second base. And we see Glaber Torres struggling at second base. Yeah. Granted, that could be because he's still he's still young. Yeah. But I would rather take the experience over that. Yeah. So I my your gut does he stay or is he going? My gut. I think he's going. I, I would agree with that. I think there's enough of a market for Air Force. Maybe I guy as yep. much of an annual salary as he wants, but I think he's gone. I think yeah. they're going to go with Glaber is short, DJ at second, and then I think the third third base spot's interesting because obviously there's Anthony Rendon's out there, but I don't think they're going to go for him because I feel no. like they like Gio Urshela, and it leaves you the question of like what are they doing with Andahar next year because like Gio Urshela basically stole that job. He's a much better defender than Andahar was. So Yeah, I think, well, speaking to the defense, it's – Night and day compared to defense. Offensively, very, very similar. Similar. So you, it's you, like Andhart's a little more pop, but deep, but uh, yeah. But uh, Ursula's more of a contact hitter. Yeah, and then Andhart's going to give you the power when you need it. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to go into spring training. Those two are just going to be battling it out, and it's going to be based off spring training. I don't think they're going to pay too much attention. But again, I could be completely wrong. But I don't think personally that they're going to pay too much attention to each player's individual seasons. Yeah. Like they're not going to look at uh, Andujar's season, and they're not going to look at Urshela's season that much. But what they're going to do is come into spring training based off how guys are performing in spring training, what they look like. They're going to make the, the at least the opening day decision based on that, about the whole decision of them going forward to see who's going to be the actual starting everyday third baseman. That's going to be probably decided by the time mid-May. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. I also feel like that Anhars get a lot of DH signs. I mean, they did decline Edwin Arcanacion's option that let mm-hmm. him go to free agency. I feel like they're going to use that spot, try to rotate it again, like Stanton being some time there, Andahar some time there. And like whoever needs like a day off their feet will get a day there. I feel like that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Where I see Andahar DH like three times a week, me getting a third base like once a week and like something yeah, like that. Yeah, I can that. see that. Let's go to the other position spot that's interesting right now, which is center field because. They got dealt the blow again. But second year in a row, we have a guy who mm. needs Tommy John with Aaron Hicks, and he's been very injury-prone. And you wonder, like, the extension might bite them in the butt because it's just like he's always hurt. And right now there's a hole in center field, and it makes you wonder here. Is it just let's re-sign Brett Gardner and hold the fort until he's mm-hmm. ready to go, or are we going somewhere else? I think what they're going to want to do, which I hope they do, is you have to re-sign Brett Gardner. Yeah. I think – like I said, the quote unquote captain of this team, he's is he he's he is yeah. the longest tenured Yankee. Yeah, now, he is right? now. Now, now, now that CC's gone, yep. he's the longest tenured. But 
it's basically his team. He's he's the bulldog. He goes, they go type of thing. But they want to stay under the luxury tax too, and they also want they're they're getting a big arm, so they want to save as much money as they can. So I think they could get, or at least they think in their minds that they could get Brett Gardner for a relatively reasonable price because the loyalty aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, he made seven last year. Assuming they give him a bump because you're giving him $9 million for a year because he didn't do something like that. Yeah, I would see. Or even they could even try to pull eight, eight and a half maybe. Yep. And then just, just go into the negotiations be like, hey, like, obviously we want you, but this is what we're trying to do. We know you, you want another World Series just as bad as we do, if not more. But this is what we're trying to do going forward. We want you a part of the team, but we also need X, Y, Z. And not for nothing, they also need like his lefty bat in the lineup because they are extremely right-handed the way they're oh, constructed yeah. like right now. I mean, especially if you let Didi go, like who is your lefty in that lineup right now? Nobody really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, until Aaron Hicks comes back, you don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think Gardner and maybe you get like talk like uh, Talkman in the mix in center field a little bit as well. I feel like yeah, he's you be just, the... just float him around. Yeah. Similar situation to what Andahar is going to be DH with Giancarlo and all things like that. Yeah, and then another spot, interesting guy is a free agent, Dylan Batances, who, like, obviously he tears his uh, ACL last year after missing most of the season because mm-hmm. of the uh, arm problems. But he's a free agent now. Do you think they're going to bring him back? Do you think they're going to kind of stand pat and say, you know, we have enough arms in the bullpen right now. We have to throw our money elsewhere. Honestly, I don't know. I think the business side of them is going to speak to what you just said is let him walk because that ever since, like, I don't even, what, two, three, three, four-ish years ago, they started just bolstering that bullpen. So it wasn't years ago when Batances first came up where it was basically him him, and Jab. <laughs> and yeah. But so I think what they're going to end up doing is let him walk. Now, again, speaking to loyalty, I don't think that's the right thing to do because another homegrown guy, but – He's almost, at this point, he's had too many injuries this past year. And, I mean, it's a torn Achilles. And yeah, pitchers use their foot so much to push off. Yeah. So you don't know how much that's going to affect him moving forward. So he's almost too much of a wild card to give him the money that he's going to want. Yeah. Because he's going to want a decent amount. Yeah, and somebody will give it to him because relief pitching is so hard to find. Oh yeah, no, he'll 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 definitely get what he's worth. If not, someone could even overpay him. Yeah, it's like, because what they're gonna want. I'm, like I'm convinced the Mets will be in on him because I feel like they need to get another arm in there. I feel like they're gonna get they will be in the mix for him. Yeah, the Mets could be in for him, even possibly the Phillies. Yeah, but I think he's st- I think he's definitely gonna stay. I think he'll be on the East Coast because there's a lot of East Coast, especially in the NL East, that's gonna need that's gonna need a bullpen arm. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I do think also that the Yankees have this track record of just finding these bullpen arms. The catch is mm-hmm. well, he's not great at finding starting pitching. He's great at finding bullpen guys, and like they already have a solid core in there with Chapman, Zach Britton, Ottavino, Tommy Canley, Chad Green. You say, you know what? Like, Batanz is a luxury. I can find another couple of guys. I can find the next like Luis Sessa, Nestor Cortez, like that yeah, that kind of group. The bullpen's pretty much just. I mean, you have the big the big arms in the bullpen, and then it's just plug and play. Yeah. All right, so my last thing is this. So, like, let's say you're Brian Cashman right now. Oh, boy. You're, you're Brian Cashman. Let's put the payroll consideration aside for a second here. Okay. You could have your perfect offseason. What is it go? Uh, payroll aside. Well, I'm getting nothing but starting pitching. Yep. 
I'm getting Strasburg. I'm getting Cole. Hmm. So basically, you're getting you're getting one of the big guys. Yeah, I'm getting at least one of the big guys. I don't care. They could say, <laughs> money aside, I, they could literally just say, "What do you want?" And yeah. then I'll be like, "There you go." Yeah. You need to land at least one of those arms. And then you feel like you have you feel like you would just add pieces around the fringes, trying to round out the group. Are you like, like you resign Gardner as your center fielder? Are you going elsewhere? Yeah, I'd resign Gardner just just to keep the whole. F- I mean, Hicks probably won't be back for at least. Probably July. July. Yeah. Maybe maybe June if he's lucky. Yeah. So I'm re-signing Brett uh, Brett Gardner regardless, even if even if Hicks was was healthy. But yeah, and then, I think everything. That's really the main thing. Yeah, I mean, Didi's gonna walk. I'm gonna let Didi walk. So we'll slide Glaber at short, Lemayhew at second. Voight at first, but probably swap off. And then we'll have to see how spring training goes to see uh, what the deal is between Andujar and uh, and Gio. All right. That's going to be a fun offseason. Hopefully for Yankee fans, they get mm-hmm. your wish and you get Garrett Cole or Strasburg. Oh, and I hope so. Just give me one of them at least. All right, and thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Before thanks, I let Mike. you go, do you want to let everybody know how high on social media some of the stuff you're up to? Uh, yeah, but uh, some of the things I'm up to, uh, well, just – got to give myself a little plug because it was why not such a, <laughs> it was such a fun experience uh this past saturday i was at yankee stadium on the field field access i was shooting the dartmouth princeton football game and such a surreal experience i can't thank uh my program director mike demergis and then his contact mr bender with dartmouth like all the all the thanks to them it was such a surreal experience like i can't i still like get goosebumps about it like being on that field yankee stadium but yeah, today, literally after this, probably about 45 minutes after this, we wrap up the podcast here. I'm going to be hopping on, hopping in the car, go down to uh, Quinnipiac University, go shoot the Iona versus Quinnipiac MAC championship playoff game. And then if you want to see me, see some of the photos I do, check me out on Instagram at Sorbellini Photos, S-O-R-B-E-L-L-I-N-I Photos. And then Twitter is just at Ant Sorbellini. All right, and thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, that was Ant Sorbellini on the Yankee offseason. We'll get to the Met offseason next week. But up next, NFL picks. Show me the money for week number 11 with Jet fan Rocky DePala right after this. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 11. The season flies by. I have our third Jet fan of the year in the studio today to do the picks. We last heard from him talking about the Jets back in March. He was also on here back in April talking about Rockets Warriors in the playoffs. That did not go too well for his favorite team. Rocky DePala is here in the studio doing picks week. Rocky, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. Not a problem. And I know you mentioned back in March that how you became a Jet fan. But for those of us listeners who are new to this podcast, can you refresh that story? All right, no problem. It was uh, Saturday, January 9th, 2005. I was a nine-year-old boy. I was with my father. We're trying to get food for my mom and sister, for everyone. And we're going all over the place, driving around, and it's, like, packed. You know, bars, restaurants, you name it. And I see all these people wearing Jet jerseys because that was the night when the Jets were playing the Chargers, and they won in overtime, and they almost blew that game. The Eric Barton game. Yeah. And they almost blew, but fortunately, in that case, they won. And I see all these people wearing Jet jerseys and all, and I'm like, wow, 
everyone really likes this team, but little did I know about the heartbreak and the uh, anguish that it would come for rooting for this franchise. Yeah, you did not know what you were signing up for. Yeah. And then, of course, the following week, I experienced my first uh, jet heartbreak with Doug Bryan missing not one, but two game-winning field goals. Yeah, that, that one still burns me to, to this day. My first Jets series is similar to yours. Like, I got in 98 when they went 12-4. and four. They beat the Jaguars and lost to Elway in the, in the AFC Championship game. The next year, Vinny Testaverde tears Achilles week one. I'm like, okay, this is what being a Jet fan is like. Yeah, the days of uh, Wayne Krabat and uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Yeah, it still burns me to this day that Keyshawn got traded, but they did get two first-round picks out of it. They did handle that correctly, but... Let's get to last week's game. They win the Snoopy Bowl at MetLife. They beat the Giants, who I think these two are basically just trading off how bad they are at football at this point. So what was your big takeaway from that Jet-Giant game? The Jets did not lose their composure, and they battled back because this was a seesaw game between the Jets and Giants. The Jets jumped off to a 14-0 lead. Giants came storming back, and you know credit to Daniel Jones because he seems like he's a, a confident NFL quarterback, at least so far. as of right now. Yeah. But um, even when the Giants took the lead, the Jets just didn't lay down and die. Sam Darnold, he was more decisive with his decision-making. And Adam Gase, you know what? He kind of played to win the game. He didn't just quit, what we saw uh, multiple times this year. Not exactly a ringing endorsement of Adam Gase that he didn't quit. What's that? So not exactly a ringing endorsement of Adam Gase that he didn't quit. Yeah. Yeah, but my big takeaway was just Joel Adams took over this football game. I mean, he was everywhere. Like, he wrecked the game. I feel like that play that he just stole the football out of Daniel Jones' hands, that's going to live with Daniel Jones for a while. That, that was, I believe that was the momentum changer. When he had that strips uh, fumble and he just took it out of his hands and just ran in for a touchdown, as a Jet fan, you kind of had a sense that, hey, I think the Jets might win this one for once. Yeah, and that's a message, I think, to the front office saying, don't trade that guy. You need people like that to help you turn the ship around. Please, please keep Jamal Adams. Please. He's the second coming of Brian Rus- uh, Westbrook. Yeah. Or, or Brian Dawkins, excuse me. Brian Dawkins. Thinking of another eagle. Yeah, another eagle there. But since I recorded the beginning of this podcast on Monday, which is right after the Jet Giant game, there has been some breaking news in Jetland. Christopher Johnson came out. At a press conference yesterday, said in no uncertain terms, Adam Gase will be back in 2020. He is not making a coaching change in season or after the season. Sam Darnold loves him. Joe Douglas loves him. He's going to be back in 2020. Your thoughts? Uh, you know what? This is just pro t- uh, typical Jets. The Johnsons don't know what they're doing. And I get it. Christopher Johnson wants to back up Adam Gase because he ultimately hired or made the decision to hire him. And he would look foolish to fire him after one year. And I guess he just wants to instill that confidence in Gase and maybe in the Jet locker room. But this also means that Adam Gase, or the pressure is going to be on Adam Gase, not only for the end of this year, but going to training camp next year. Because if the Jets can win, let's say, six, seven games to finish out the year and maybe build a little momentum and then hit on most, if not all, their draft picks, then you know what? We can back up Christopher Johnson and praise him. But if that if the opposite happens or if that doesn't happen, then we're just going to be bashing him and it's just going to be another cycle. Yeah. Here's my problem with this situation here. Like, as you know, most Jet fans were against this hire when it was made back in January. Right. Everybody wanted Mike McCarthy. because I wanted Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I think we all did because he was a Super Bowl winning head coach. He had ex- great experience. He built Aaron Rodgers. You're like, this could be great. But the Jets go out, they hire this guy because Peyton Manning calls at uh, Christopher Johnson up and says, you know what, Adam Gase is great. Based on what, I don't know, but... Maybe getting him a <laughs> cup of coffee or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the Joe Beningo argument right there. <laughs> so, so he goes on there. They stink the most the first half of this season. Everybody make excuses for them. And then the second they get a win, and they barely beat the Giants last week. He's sprinting to the podium, Christopher John says. You know what? He's coming back. And to me, it's just like 
You have no guts to do it after they won a game because you don't know when the next win's coming. You're running to the podium and make this point. That bothers me to no end because I'm like, you know what? Have some stones. Do it in the middle of a losing streak. Say, you know what? Like, I picked the right guy. I have faith in him. Doing this is just no confidence. This is just like gutless by Christopher Johnson. And he's been a horrendous owner who gets thrown no attention because of the ineptitude of James Dolan. And you know what? You know what I've noticed about Adam Gase, or at least as a Jet fan, or the vibe I get with Adam Gase? You remember with Todd Bowles, there was always kind of like that back-and-forth argument with Jet fans saying, oh, he's horrible, or oh, look what he had. And you know what? I'll admit I was part of that small minority group that you know defended Bowles for the most part up until the Spencer Long game, and I yeah. was like, you know what? He has to go now. Yeah. I feel like with Adam Gase, like, no Jet fan likes him. Like, he's like, it's just the Jet fans versus Adam Gase. You know what I mean? It's the Jet fans versus the front office, really, yeah. by the ownership. Because we saw last week they had the group that bought the t- the uh, fire Idzig group who bet, bet the batters up on uh, the turnpike a couple of years ago. Yeah, Idzig fired. They flew the plane over to New York City saying fire Adam over Gase Over the GW, now. yeah. Yeah, they f- or fire Adam Gase now. And Christopher Johnson is just stubborn, and he doesn't talk to the media at all. And he basically saying, like, you know what? What, what would my fan base know? I know more about football, and all I've done for my life is be part of a group, a part of a family that sells uh, toiletries and paper products. Yeah, and you know another thing that bothered me with Christopher Johnson? How if you remember a few weeks ago, he, he there were some sources that came out saying his his criticism towards hiring Adam Gase is unwarranted and it's not fair. I'm yeah. kind of like paraphrasing there. Yeah, you got. I remember that. Yeah, it's like you you're gonna get criticism. You own an NFL team in New York City, and he's not winning. It's not like it's not like these four and five and they were competitive in these games. You say it's unfair. They were one and seven and they were getting blown out every week. And then also, yeah, like not to mention the coach that you thought is the right guy for the job, quit it a few times. Look at uh, the Miami game, how he let the clock run. And he didn't use his timeouts. Or even when Luke Falk was in, was the quarterback. Yeah, he didn't try. When Luke Falk was the quarterback, the Jets were so uncompetitive. It wasn't even funny. It's like, it's like you just you uh, you turn off the TV after like the first drive. It's like, all right, incomplete pass, Le'Veon up the middle, two, three yards, and then sack. Yeah, sack, punt, here we go. Yeah. And, I mean, we've seen around the league that people are winning with like really like on the hair of the quarterbacks. I mean, the Broncos are making Brandon Allen look decent. The Panthers are, what, like 6-1 and one with Kyle Allen under center? Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew with the Jags. Yeah. I mean, he, won- he saw a game two weeks ago where he just outplayed Sam Darnold, and that's on coaching. Yeah. I just don't know what to say with this because— I've said it last week on the podcast that as long as Adam Gase is the head coach of this franchise, I'm not going into that building again. That is uh, a pretty uh, bold statement there, Mike, and I don't blame you. Yeah, because I'm just sick and tired of them acting like that they that the fans are idiots and they don't know what we're talking about. Well, the fans, time and time again, have been proven right about how terrible these people they hire are. That, that Once again, it starts from the head up, and it's kind of like that old saying, a fish stinks from the head down. Yeah, it's certainly the point. And now they go to Washington this week. And this is a typical game in the past where the Jets have this one big moment. They come in high. They go on the road, play a terrible team. They go out and lose it. So why do you think this might be different? Why well, I think this might be different? Yeah, why do you think – do you think they actually have a shot here against the Redskins and their one-win team with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback? you think this could be a typical Jet performance where they go out there and lay an egg? I don't th- – you know what? I don't think so. I think maybe the game will be close, but I think the Jets will uh... – take care of business shockingly for me to say it (laughs) i know whether adam gase is the long-term coach or not but i think he'll you know when he'll get a win this week though i'm I'm confident in that regard well he better get a win this week because that's really annoying me also like how he has all these built-in excuses like mccagden drafted a terrible team which i admit is true but coaches have won with less in this league and he's just getting every excuse in the book coaching now you probably heard this thousands of times coaching's all about 
making the most for what you have. Look at what Frank Reich is doing with the Colts. Yes. Or look what John Gruden is doing with the Raiders. Yeah. And even though I bash him, and I'm probably his biggest critic, critic, excuse me, look what Mike Tomlin is doing with this Steeler team and Mason Rudolph. Yeah. These teams are all winning with like less than what they want. Sorry, with I feel like Adam Gase always has excuses made for him. He's like Manish Mehta said the other day. He's perfect. He's talked to people in the league who say he's a professional excuse maker. Yeah, it was like I think it was an, a GM from the an NFC team though. It was yeah. off the record saying yeah. he was a professional excuse maker. That, that sums him up perfectly because why is it my fault that things aren't going right? As my plan is brilliant, my players suck. <laughs> yeah, and then now I'm afraid that since uh, Christopher Johnson, I forgot to mention this to you. Since Christopher Johnson said he's going to bring him back for another year. That Gase may do something stupid and like trade Jamal Adams, trade Le'Veon Bell, kind of like what he did with the Dolphins and Lamar Miller and Jarvis Landry. Trade away your key guys or guys who are actually pretty good for what lottery tickets, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, this always should just come back to the owners, especially the fact that they just don't run it like a traditional team. It's like even if they fire the head coach tomorrow, they will not let Joe Douglas pick the coach. They would it would be Christopher Johnson and Woody Johnson and whoever they bring in as advisors to pick the coach, which to me bothers me because like. This this GM has a lot more football knowledge than you do. Let him pick the coach. Even when it was like John Isaac not getting to pick his coach, or even when it was McCagney not getting to pick his coach. Those guys have been football like people for a long time. You have nothing to do with football outside your business interests. So like I just don't get why they don't trust their football people to do their jobs. I guess it's just maybe ego and you know what, feel like, hey, I know everything. I can do this. I got a good I have uh I have the knowledge of it. You guys don't. I'm smarter, you're not probably just ego mike i think it is just ego but let's get to the pick challenge the reason why you're here this week my buddy phil Freda was here last week for team challengers he went oh two and one he had the colts laying a ten and a half against the dolphins that did not work out very well for him he had the chargers laying a point uh, against the raiders on thursday night football they lost that game got the first push of the season had the bills plus three they lost by three so no action there oh two and one on the week i last week got back in the win column went one and two I had the Chiefs laying a three and a half. I would have had it if they didn't blow that game against the Titans late. That one was frustrating. Yeah. And Mahomes had a great game, too. Yeah, Mahomes is fantastic. Their defense stinks. That's a whole other problem. But yeah. I had the Giants last week against the Jets laying a two and a half. I was wrong on that one because all the Giants would be at least competitive and find a way to squeak it out. But they were just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. I mean, Saquon getting one yard, too, yeah. a one yard rushing. I mean, that's also kudos to the Jets' defensive line as well. Yeah, it's a lot of credit to the Jets' defense there. 13 carries for one yard for the supposed future Hall of Fame running back. Good job there by them. Yeah, and Greg Williams and all. Yep. And I, my one win, I had the Seahawks plus six on Monday night against the 49ers, and they won that game outright. So, okay, for the one winning pick out of the uh, six we made last week. On the year, the Challengers are 15, 14, and one. I am 17 and 13. So this is a very, very close situation right now as we head down the stretch. Okay, I'm I'm ready to match you, uh, tie you up this week. <laughs> All right. So with that in mind, we're going to the NFL picks. Rocky's on the board. His first pick. Where are you going? All right. I'm gonna go like I mentioned earlier. I think the Jets, despite what we've seen in recent years, where they have a big victory and then lay an egg the following week. I don't think that's gonna be the case this week. I think the Jets defeat the Redskins. You're not going to hear hail to the Redskins after a Redskin victory. Give me the J-E-T-S, hail to the Jets, getting the plus one and a half and winning this game outright. I could see that argument as well. This is just a game I personally would stay the hell away from just because I don't trust either football team in this game. And that's why the spread is so low. You're basically picking the winner. If you have a strong feeling about it, a promise, a, uh, kudos to you, but I would not feel comfortable with it. But that's your pick number one. Where are you going to pick number two? Pick number two, I'm going to go with the Bears 
over the Rams plus seven. I think this game is going to be a toss-up either way. But just seeing how the Rams have played over the last few weeks, Jared Goff is struggling mightily. He can't get a rhythm going. The Rams, for some strange reason, are, are letting uh, Todd Gurley, you know, not using him a lot or just abandoning him on the sideline. And it's like, this is not the same Ram teams we've seen in years past. And I think the Bears just have a better defense despite their offense or their struggles on offense with Trubisky. So give me the Bears plus seven. I love that pick. That was something I would have gone with you and not taken it one because the Rams, something is off with them. That hangover is real. Todd Gurley's clearly still hurting because they don't trust him enough to run the offense full time. And the Bears, that game's going to be a three point game, I feel like. And you're getting seven points for the Bears. It's a great pick. Yeah. Plus, I feel like. You see it every time the team loses the Super Bowl, other than the Patriots, they have the Super Bowl hangover, and it's you're seeing it with the Rams. Yeah, that's your second pick of the week. Where are you going with your third and final pick of the week? Give me the Philadelphia Eagles over the defending New England, uh, defending champion New England Patriots minus three and a half, plus three and a half. or plus three and a half, excuse me. And I think get the dog mask out, get the cheese steaks. I think the Eagles are going to defeat them because Eagles are at home. They have a great defense. And I know New England, they usually bounce back after a loss, but I think there's something about the Eagles where when they play or when the schedule comes like late November, early December, they turn on the switch and Doug Peterson has his guys ready to go. And he's a great coach. I think he's a top five coach in the league. Yeah, I, I like that pick as well because I feel like this game is a very close game. You're getting the hook with the half point, which would be nice. So even if the Eagles lose by a field goal, you still get the win there. And I think this is a game also. I feel like there are teams that are capable of beating New England. Philadelphia is definitely one of them because they have so much talent on that team. They know how to do it. I know Wentz technically wasn't the quarterback the last time they played the Patriots, but you trust that team. You trust those players on it to step up in big situations. And I know this is a game they have to get. So I would not be shocked the Eagles won this game. Yeah, and plus they – the Patriots secondary, they got to worry about guys like Deshaun Jackson, if he's healthy, Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz. Yeah, for sure. Those are, So those are Rocky's picks of the week. Three underdogs for Rocky. I have a couple underdogs as well. I'm going to start with the first one. I'm going to tonight's game, Thursday Night Football. I'm taking the Steelers plus three in Cleveland against the Browns. I know the Browns won last week in, against Buffalo at home. Buffalo is not very good, in my opinion, to the progress off schedule, but... If you've watched this Pittsburgh defense the last, like, five, six weeks, they've been phenomenal. Mika Fitzpatrick has been great. They're Devin Bush has been phenomenal for them, and I feel like they're going to give the Browns fits. The Browns have only won like five times against the Steelers since they came back in the league in 99. Give me the Steelers getting three points on Thursday Night Football. So all they even do is win. I think they will. I, I think the, I know what, I think the, this is going to be a breakout game for the Browns' offense. Yes, the Steelers have been playing phenomenally well the last few weeks defensively, but I think the Browns are just finally going to get it together. They're going to, their offense is going to click, and I think this is just going to be a breakout moment for them. And then plus, on a short week, when you have to deal with OBJ and Landry, I could see the Browns winning by a touchdown, maybe by 10 if things go their way. Well, we'll see what happens there. That's pick number one for me. Pick number two, I'm taking the only favorite of the week here. I'm taking the Cowboys laying three and a half in Detroit against the Lions. The Lions last week played without Matthew Stafford. He's got back issues. He might not play again this week. He didn't practice on Wednesday, and I think this is a big must-win game for the Cowboys just because their schedule coming up is brutal. I got the Patriots next week. They have the Bills coming in on Thanksgiving. They have a tough road down the stretch. This is a game they cannot afford to lose. And I feel like this is a game where they force feed Ezekiel Elliott. He has a huge game on the ground. I feel like they have enough, a good enough defense to contain the outside receivers for Detroit. Detroit has no running game. It's a manageable number. Give me the Cowboys laying the three and a half on the road for pick number two. I have to go with you on that. I mean, depending if Matthew Stafford does play, though, then it's a toss-up. But if they have his backup, I forgot his name. Jeff Driscoll. Jeff Driscoll. If they have him playing against that daunting Cowboy defense, good luck, Detroit. You're going to need it. 
And plus, the Cowboys are coming off a bad loss or a tough loss against the Vikings. So I think they need a back on track win as well. All right, that's pick number two for me. A final pick of the week, pick number three. I'm going with the Arizona Cardinals, getting 11.5 points in San Francisco against the 49ers. This, for me, is more a fact that the 49ers coming off an emotional game on Monday night against the Seahawks they lost. They have a short week. They have Green Bay coming up next week. This might be a bit of a game where they're looking ahead to the Packers, saying, you know, we have to win this game for home field. And the Cardinals have been competitive this year. They have been pretty much every game. Most They play, I believe, like seven or eight games where they've been within seven points or less, including the first time they played San Francisco. I guess that was a short week, but they lost that game by three. The 49ers might be without George Kittle again. They might not have Emmanuel Sanders in this game. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think it is. So give me all those points. Give me the Cardinals plus 11 and a half. Pick number three. I would honestly, if you didn't pick that game, I think I would lean towards the Cardinals as well. Not that they would win, but at least to cover the spread. Because Cliff Kingsbury has Kyler Murray and this Cardinals team playing competitive football. They're not a great team overall, but they're in every game. And you know what? If they, make, they hit on a few draft choices next year, they can be a confident team. But at least for now, I think the 49ers are a way better team. And, um, yeah, they're good, but I think the Cardinals will uh, cover eventually. All right, so reset the picks for the week. Rocky has gone with the Jets, getting a point and a half in Washington against the Redskins. He's gone with the Eagles, getting three and a half at home against the Patriots, what I think is the game of the week. And he's gone with the Bears, getting seven on Sunday Night Football against the Los Angeles Rams in Los Angeles. I have gone with the Steelers tonight, getting three points in Cleveland against the Browns. The Cowboys laying three and a half in Detroit against the Lions, potentially starting Jeff Driscoll for a second week in a row. And the Cardinals getting 11 and a half points in San Francisco against the 49ers. And those are your picks for week number 11 of Show Me the Money. And next week, we are bringing in Jaguars fan Sandra Rosa to do the picks next week. So that'll be fun to have a chat about Minshew Media and what happens with Nick Foles back. Well, that should be a good show for next week. That will be a good show for next week. Rock, thanks for all the time. And how do people follow you on social media? They want to keep up with you. All right. It is uh, on Twitter. It is the rock underscore nine five four. And then it's on Instagram. It is the underscore rock 1995. That sounds good, my friend. And next week on this podcast, I am doing a Met offseason preview. The big Met news of late is the managerial hire of Carlos Beltran. You are also a Mets fan. What did you think about the hire? I thought it was a good one. Now, granted, I wanted Girardi because I feel like he was the best candidate out there, You know, kind of like the Jets with Mike McCarthy. But I think Beltran, from what I heard, he's a knowledgeable baseball guy. He can get to players. He knows how to connect with them. And um, just he knows like what to look for in, in, during the game that maybe a young player may not be able to notice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I feel like the Mets handle this differently because like, I feel like if the Mets did what the Jets did, they would hire Gabe Kapler as their manager. Right. And you, um, you remember? Did you hear his uh, his press conference? Did you or did you hear Gabe uh, Kapler's press conference? No, I did not. He kind of seemed like flabbergasted. He's like, oh, uh, and I'm kind of paraphrasing. He's like, oh, um, I got, you know, I had some issues in Philadelphia, but I'm just glad to be here right now. Like he's kind of like in disbelief that he got a job after he got fired from another one. Yeah, that would have been the tip, that would have been the same thing the Jets did, but the Mets didn't do that. I like the hire. I'm willing to give him a chance, but again. We don't know anything really until we see what he does in those situations in, in like April when he's having to make a double switch or make the right bullpen decision. Like Also, we'll see what happens with the kind of routes they put around him. Right. And then how about this for a storybook ending? He leads the Mets to a World Series championship, but during that run, he clinches the pennant in Game 7 in St. Louis. That would be fun. That, how redeeming would that be that for be, him? That would be like Disney movie quality. Yeah. All right, Rock. Thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate all right. it. All right, up next, this week's two-minute drill. I'll talk about the hypocrisy of the NCAA right after this. The key issue here 
is that that Memphis played James Wiseman when the NCAA said that he was ineligible. And there's a there's an NCAA bylaw 19.13 that says that if you run into a, a local court and get a restraining order or some sort of court order uh, and rely upon that to play a player that is ineligible and later on that that TRO is vacated or otherwise dismissed, whatever it is, then there are all kinds of penalties that come your way. It's basically a threat from the NCAA saying if we say he's ineligible, you better hold him out. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. You just heard the analysis of ESPN's Jay Billis on the situation surrounding Memphis center James Wiseman, who, remember, I talked to Patrick Schmidt last week. He was the freshman that Schmidt was most excited to see play in college basketball this season. His eligibility is in doubt because of a strange ruling from the NCAA. And most around sports would tell you that there are three organizations in the sports world that most fans would consider to be corrupt. And I'm sorry, football fans who hate Roger Goodell. He did not make the list. The NFL is not on here. Usually it is the IOC, International Olympic Committee, FIFA, and the NCAA. And no one's saying that's actually true about the NCAA, but did not help the reputation this week with some of the sanctions they had going on. They had the potential top pick in the NBA draft in 2020 get caught up in a potential eligibility issue. And the same thing for potential top pick in the NFL draft next year. We'll go back to Wiseman first. Wiseman right now has been ruled ineligible by the NCAA due to the fact that his family received some money to move from Nashville to Memphis in 2017. That money came from Penny Hardaway, who is now Memphis's head coach, but then was just a high school coach in the Memphis area. But that does not matter to the NCAA. According to the rules, this would make him a booster, Hardaway. And Wiseman would receive an impermissible benefit, and at that point, he would be ineligible. Memphis appealed to a local judge, who's issued a stay of the ruling. But there's a funny story here. The NCAA knew about this back in May. The Tigers asked in May about James Wiseman. And what did they say? They said he can play. So they said back in May that James Wiseman was eligible, but they found some additional information and changed their minds. Really? Really, Memphis? Really, you're going to do this to Memphis? That's interesting. That's point number one. Number two, the situation with Ohio State's Chase Young, the premier pass rusher in the draft, going to be the top non-quarterback taken by all accounts. Right now, he's facing a four-game ban from the NCAA because he took out a loan. What did he do with the loan? He used it to fly his girlfriend to the Rose Bowl last year. But here's the kicker. I know that in most situations, taking the money is obviously a violation. He repaid the loan. He took money out to fly his girlfriend to California to watch him in the Rose Bowl. And he paid it back. But because he dared to borrow the money, he's facing a four-game suspension. This is an NCAA organization here. This organization is trying to have it both ways. They've admitted now that they are going to let players start getting paid for their image in about 2023-ish. But for now, 
they're still trying to cling to the old rules of amateurism and the scholarship is enough for these student athletes and they're slapping the wrist of these guys and it's just so frustrating because in case people forgot they're hammering these offenses but they right now are also looking at the potential of major recruiting violations by six power conference schools in basketball Kansas chief among them with the ability for the school who reportedly helped funnel money to recruits through Adidas to their families. That was discovered by the FBI, which dragged people to court. The NCAA got all this information from the FBI, neatly wrapped in the package, and said, here you go. Here is evidence that six of your schools cheated. What has the NCAA done with it? Nothing. They are still twiddling their thumbs trying to figure out what to do with this, but we are going after James Wiseman and taking money from Penny Hardaway two years ago when he was in high school and Hardaway had nothing to do with Memphis. Really? That's what we're picking on? Come on, NCAA. You can be better than that. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Anthony Sorbellini, for copying in the studio to talk about the New York Yankees offseason. I also want to thank Rocky Pala for stopping in to do the NFL picks and have an interesting discussion about the Adam Gase situation with the Jets. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my look at what the emergence of Frank Nilakina can mean for the Knicks, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for the podcast there. Search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms, and you can find all of our old episodes there. You can also leave your feedback and star raids as well in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me the hashtag anti-YankeeBias you made at the end of this week's show. Next week, we will do the Mets offseason preview. We will do NFL picks. Are also, since our pop culture source, Ron and Sandra Rose will be here, we will also dive a little bit into the world of Disney+, Plus, the new streaming service that came out this week. I have to take a look at there this weekend, see what some of the stuff is in there. We'll give you our review of the service and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than Colts fans. (laughs) 